There are sermon notes in the bulletin. If you're visiting, you want to have those. We're going to fill in the blank. This is our second time in this section of Scripture. If you weren't with us last week, we started to begin the foundation of this study last week. As we came to verses 12 to 20, I said it's a new section in the book of 1 Corinthians and kind of like a, a, a new topic because it seems to be out of nowhere. <coughs> but what we do know is that the Apostle Paul has been talking about how Christians are to be different. And that's why in verses 9 to 11, in a passage that was about lawsuits, he uses this now famous text where he talks about the fact that, you know, don't be deceived. Verse 9, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor homosexuals, nor the thieves that verse 10 says, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And the implication is, is that you're no longer practicing those things. And then it jumps into this text verses 12 through 20 that we see is focusing on sexual morality and so we read verses 12 to 14 pick up in verse 15 do you not know that your bodies are members of christ shall i then take away the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute may it never be verse 16 or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her for he says the two shall become one flesh verse 17 but the one who joins himself to the lord is one spirit with him Flee immorality. Flee immorality, verse 18 says. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now this text, I believe, is for believers. And I point this out again, if you weren't here with us last week. As we talk about this, and maybe you're someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you're saying, wow, we're going to talk about sexual sins, and I've been very aggressive, and I've done some really bad things. You know, obviously God hates me. Well, that's not true. The only unpardonable sin that we said last week is when the scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit working when Jesus was on earth, and the Holy Spirit was working to convict the people that who Jesus was. And if we think that... Oh, the unpardonable sin is still going on. It's like if the Holy Spirit is working in you today to convict you, to believe in Jesus Christ, then that, if you never accept Christ, that's why people don't end up in heaven. That's unpardonable. You, can't, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to repent. But sexual sin is not something that is unpardonable. God will forgive people who engage in sexual sin. And for someone who... If you were an unbeliever and you became a believer, you should know God's forgiveness and God's grace in this area. The sad reality of it is, is uh, even believers will continue sometimes and practice sexual sin, but God will forgive that. And it's important if you're engaged in that, you repent and you get right with God. But um, in talking about this subject, we're discussing purity, and you'll see that God wants us to be sexually pure. Um, John MacArthur in his commentary said this, the Bible's advice for avoiding sexual involvement outside of marriage is simple. Stay as far away as possible from persons and places likely to get you in trouble. And he quotes Proverbs chapter five, keep away from her. I mean, it's a woman of adultery and do not go near the door of her house. 
When repeatedly enticed by Potiphar's wife, Joseph refused not only to lie beside her, but even to be with her, Genesis 39 says. When she tried to force him into adultery and grabbed his coat, he, the scriptures say he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. It was not the time for argument or explanation, but for flight. When we unavoidably get caught in such a situation, the only sensible thing to do is to get away from it as quickly as we can. Passion, and I like this line, is not rational or sensible. And sexually dangerous situations should be avoided or fled, not debated. Really good advice. And sexual sin is extremely offensive to God, I wrote. As you will see, God expects sexual purity, and it's fascinating we're talking about this subject because in our culture, I have never seen what's going on today. And I've talked to a few of you this week. So there's something really weird going on in our culture in the sense there's this condemnation of unbelievers for sexual impropriety. And the reason I say that is because ever since I was a little kid, I can remember whether it's musicians or movie stars being known for doing things that are improper sexually. I mean, I'd stay up late as a little kid and I'd watch maybe a late, late night talk show host. For me, it was Johnny Carson. And there were innuendos or you know, people would come out and they'd say, well, we're living together and stuff like that and blah, blah, blah. And people just knew some of these things that were going on. But now it's almost like anything that's been improper, it's coming out and these people are losing their jobs and it's the number of people was like 40 or 50 and that have come out. And just listen to some of these names. If you haven't been paying attention to the news, um, this might surprise you. But for those of you who know and have been paying attention, these names, um, you've heard them bannered about. The most famous, this is Harvey Weinstein, the media mogul. I mean, they're thinking of bringing up all kinds of sexual charges against him. Not only has he lost his job, but just the names. Kevin Spacey, actor. James Toback, famous screenwriter. Um, he's, he's one of the only ones that's denied it, but the evidence seems to be overwhelming. Ben Affleck, um, George H.W. Bush, U.S. President. Chris Savino, famous animator. Roy Price, head of Amazon Studios. Brett Ratner, movie producer and director of Rush and Hour and The Revenant. Dustin Hoffman, famous actor. Al Franken, U.S. Senator, Kurt Webster, top country music publicist, John Best, celebrity um, chef, Mark Halperin, political journalist. I used to read him all the time in Newsweek magazine. Um, The director of of NPR, Michael Orsex, Lockhart Steele, editor of Vox Media, Rohit Varma, head of the USC, famous medical school. The, the Larry Nasher, doctor to the USA female Olympic gymnast. R. Kelly, a guy who's an artist who's had accusations before, but new ones have come out. Um, Amit Singhal, Uber. Many of you guys like to drive Uber. Two Uber executives, him and this other guy, also accused. And these are people who are losing their jobs. And then prison is being threatened to them. Eric Bolin, TV newspaper. Uh, newsman, Harry Knowles, Ain't It Cool News founder, Louis C.K., comedian, Charlie Rose, who people would just absolutely think, wow, this is one of the most upright, proper guys, Charlie Rose, and Matt Lauer of NBC Today Show. And I went through this list, I went through it with somebody on Saturday or Friday, and and they said, well, you better check the news because someone else is going to come out by the time you preach on Sunday. And the reality was, late last night, um, somebody else... Uh, 
A famous photographer was just uh, accused and looks like he's gonna be losing his position. And like, why? What, what is going on? Why these public convictions about this? And um, many of these people, like Matt Lauer, they're not fighting it. You know, they say, we may not have the right story, but yeah, I did this. And so the thing that I want us to remember is, number one, is that these people need salvation. Um, it's not just clearing up their act and cleaning up their act. They need salvation. And <clears throat> we need to remember that. But if you're saved and, and you're involved in sexual immorality, you need to repent. You need to stop and go in another direction. And you can start today as we're going to even get ready for communion here. But here's a slideshow. And I, you don't need to get the lights. We're going to see what we talked to Brian and I talked about, seeing if we could put this up without, yeah, because I'm going to continue on. We used this last week, this picture, God's desire for sexual purity. <clears throat> what I'm saying is, Steve, keep it. Keep the lights on because we're going we're to see if I can keep going. But sex, as a recap, we said, is not the forbidden fruit of Genesis 3. And if you weren't here with us last week, this is a picture, it's a famous picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. My pet peeve, you should all have these down, is number one, we don't know the skin color of the people. We, know, we don't know if it was an apple. And the one thing that always bothers me is that if this was in the temptation, the serpent was beautiful. If we take the passages from Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah, um, or Ezekiel 28. <coughs> but the point here is that sex isn't something that God hates. We said God does not hate sex as we know he invented it. All right, so it's critical that when we talk about a matter like this that can be so sensitive, that people understand it. So that's a recap. But what we said is God has rules for sex and how we live. People got sex in their brain, but righteousness needs to rule how we think and how we process this. And so as a recap, the rule, key rule is one man to one woman. We went back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and saw this being quoted in the New Testament. If you understand this is God's design for marriage, that it's one man to one woman, any other type of combination, anything is a sin, okay? So once we grasp that down, and I, I thought that was so good. I told you that I listened to a message 20-some years ago about how we don't have to go to the, the Old Testament law. We don't have to bring up passages out of the law to prove that this is what God's plan is. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is, carries out throughout the entire scriptures as well into the New Testament. <coughs> this is God's plan for marriage. And then I wanted to use this again because I really do like the way Becky and I look in this. <laughs> okay, so I, I think... But the rule, the rule is sex after marriage. And if we understand that, then it becomes really, really clear on that, on what, just real simple where, how we're supposed to attract, uh, approach this. But our passage, and our, I, I got this wrong, it's 12 to 20, it shows that the entire Godhead is, um, the Trinity is against sexual sin. Now, I, I kind of quizzed somebody last week this weekend, and they missed this, and I don't want you to miss this, because what I want you to see is, in verses 12 to 14, when we read these, if you look at your scriptures, we, when I said the Trinity is involved, it's God, that doesn't say God the Father, but by implication, when we get to the second and third passages, we have the Christ, the Son, and then we have the Holy Spirit, it's verses 12 to 14, where we're going to focus today on how the Father wants sexual purity, Okay? 
And then we're going to get in, and eventually in the 15 to 18, we learned that we take Christ with us in the sexual immorality, and that should not be. And so the second member of the Trinity is going to be emphasized here. And then in verses 19 to 20, we learned that because of the Holy Spirit, our bodies are a temple not to be used for illicit sex. And I, if you can see the picture, it's supposed to be a man with like a flame on top from Acts chapter 2. My body, God's temple, that's the mindset and how the Holy Spirit is involved. So I felt, as I said, I struggled with it last week. You know, what's the pathway through verses 12 to 20? And there is a sense where we're dealing with the entire Trinity. But what we're getting into today, okay, is, is as we start to look about the, the work of the, um, the Father and what he wants, let's just look big picture and I want you to see, I wanted to make this one whole point, just the very point that you fill in with the word body, we learned that sexual sin is a serious issue to the Father over other issues. Oh, look, at, just read with me verses 12 to 14. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God, and that's my, my implication, it's God the Father will do away with both of them. He's the one that's in control. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, okay, i.e., God the Father has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And so the big picture here is in the very first point, and I just broke this down to five, is that the Father, I wanted you to see like a sort of a summary point, is that the Father wants us to understand that sexual purity is important to him. And one author writes, he said, God looks on sexual immorality with extreme seriousness, because of this sin in Israel, 1 Corinthians, we're going to see, records, re, reminds us that 23,000 fell. Think about that. 23,000 fell because of sexual sins. David was a man after God's own heart and was greatly used of the Lord in leading Israel and even in writing scripture. But David was not exempted from the consequences of his sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba and she became pregnant, but then arranged for her husband to be killed in battle and took her as his own wife. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord, 2 Samuel says. And through his prophet, Nathan, God told David that because of his sin, the sword shall never depart from your house. I will raise up evil against you from your own household, and the child also that is born to you shall surely die. David paid for the sins. Think about this. He paid for those sins almost every day of his life. Several of his sons were rebellious, jealous, and vengeful, and his family life was, for the most part, a tragic shambles. David repented and was forgiven. The Lord has taken away your sins, Scripture says, but the Lord did not take away the consequences of his sins. After that experience, the king wrote Psalm 51 in gratitude, but also in deep remorse and agony. He had experienced God's marvelous and gracious forgiveness, but he also came to see the awfulness of his sin. And then he writes in Psalm 51, against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God's grace is free, but the cost of sin is high. So this is just to reinforce the importance of the subject matter. And, and, and here, I can just, you know, because I know you and I know the things that people go through in our congregation. And there's a sense where for some people, I'm trying to say, please listen to the seriousness of this and be prevented from doing something that you'll, could possibly regret those of you who have acted on sexual um, temptation 
you can know that God is a God of second chances and maybe you can give testimony to people and say, look, if these, these are things I've dealt with, whether it's the memories, whether it's some other problem that I've had to deal with all my life because of this. Uh, it's just amazing where this, this subject matter gets us to, how serious it is. Well, fill in the blank as we go to the next one. You know, um, God knows not every way is profitable. And I'm going to come back with fill in the blank that sexual sins harms you from this principle on what is lawful and helpful, okay? So this is interesting. If you look at verse 12, the first part says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And here we have this expression, and people were wondering, like, this was like a common expression of the day, all things are lawful for me. And the thought was, is maybe like they were trying to say, I'm saved, saved by grace, and my salvation is secure, and secure, and there's no way I can lose my salvation, so therefore... I can do anything. That's what part of the, what the th- thought was. All things are lawful. But what, with the idea, not all things are profitable, is that comes in the idea where the Apostle Paul is like countering that and saying, not everything is advantageous. Not everything is good. I wrote, I am free from earning my salvation and nothing will cause me to lose my salvation. But not everything I do will be profitable, be it sin or be it good. And so, you know, here's the reality. If you take this out of the sexual realm, you know, there's all kinds of things that are profitable, I'm allowed to do. I could have yet spent the entire day watching TV yesterday. Would that have kept me in or out of heaven? You know, basically, no. I mean, if I would have woke up at 7 in the morning and watched TV at 1 in the morning, okay, would it have been the most profitable thing? Absolutely not, Okay. Are there days when I want to kick back and sometimes get rest and just sit back and rest and maybe watch TV, read a book? Yeah, that's profitable. So <clears throat> we recognize that there's things like biblical reward. There's things where you're earning, you know, you're working for God, and there are things that are profitable. How important is it to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that talked about God is going to reward us for how we live our life. <sighs> But when I look at this in the context, I believe what Paul is talking about here is not everything is going to be profitable. Not everything is, in essence, going to be very, very good for us. And he wants us to understand sexual sin harms us. And one commentator wrote this, involvement in illicit sex leads to a loss of health, loss of possession, loss of honor and respect. Every person who continues in such sin does not necessarily suffer all those losses, but those, who, those are the types of losses that persistent sexual sin produces. The person that indulges in illicit sex will come to discover that he has lost his years to the cruel one, as in the scripture says. And then this hard-earned goods have gone to the house of an alien, and that he will groan in his later years, and his flesh and his body are consumed, as Proverbs 5 says. The stolen waters of sexual relations outside of marriage is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. <coughs> we have time. You know, I try to read Proverbs every day. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 5. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 5. It's amazing how much the Proverbs, from a conceptual standpoint, constantly are trying to say, watch out. Watch out for sexual sins. So you come to like Proverbs chapter five and 
Verse 1 says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of shield. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now, my son, listen. Now, then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to other and your years to the cruel one. That's why I quoted earlier. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien, and you groan at your final end. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not, and not um, for strangers with you. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you all times. Be exhilarated with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his path. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. An entire chapter dedicated to this. And I, we could go in, we could read chapter 7, and, there's, and then the end of chapter 8, and it's just like, God is like screaming, and I, what I have seen and what I know is whether you are talking about a young person or, you know, other older people is that there's sometimes sexual desires like i just don't care i don't care that god says this i don't care that god i'm just we're just gonna live together we're just gonna do this and you've got to understand that that sometimes you think you're getting away with it but you don't you know i could throw out statistics i've heard these statistics before like people who live together without being married end up like it's a higher percentage of being divorced and blah, blah, blah once they finally get married and that's Proverbs chapter eight being played. I just, I can go into all this sexual diseases that are, people catch and blah, 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 but there's also just the memories and, and you can't always put that up like on a screen. You say, well, look, let, let, you know, even this morning, maybe some of you, it's like running through your mind some of the memories that you had and how you just wish you didn't do that. And I've shared with this with other people. I've warned them. And yet I still see people who commit sexual immorality. So I struggle with this. So when I go back, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 6 and, and it says, all things are lawful. Yeah, you're not going to lose your salvation if you're a believer and you commit sexual immorality. You're not. But it's not going to be profitable. And there's going to be a lot of harm that comes to you. And, and uh, I think... Um, this commentator goes on, he says, the dangers and harm of sexual sin are nowhere presented more vividly and forcibly than in Proverbs. And then talks about Proverbs chapter five and, <coughs> excuse me, goes on to say, nothing binds those enslaved except the, image, the temporary and impersonal gratification of physical impulses. Um, another tragedy of sexual sin is that those involved do not know it is unstable, do not realize that, that they, they think their relationships are going to be permanent, but often they're not. And so please, please, if you're, 
in sexual sin, repent and get out, and hopefully God can restore and make something better for you. The next principle, God doesn't want anything to master you. And I hear broken chains here, especially sex. Sexual sin controls you negatively, and from this principle on what is lawful and controlling. Look at the second half of verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any of them. Okay? I won't, I'm not, I won't be controlled by them. And the idea here is, it seems like Paul's, again, using the common expression of the day, all things are lawful, but the idea here is, the, it seems that, that he wants to make sure that we understand that like a slave with a master, we've been brought, made free in Christ. And, um, you know, I, I am not supposed to be a slave to anything, whether it be TV, food, whatever, and if something controls you, it, it, can, it can absolutely destroy your life. Paul was free in the grace of God to do as he pleased, but he refused to allow himself to be mastered by anything or anyone other than Christ. He would not become enslaved to any habit or custom and certainly not to any sin. As Paul says in Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. No sin is more enslaving than sexual sin. The more it is indulged, the more it controls the indulger. Once it begins with small indiscretions, it leads to greater ones and finally to flagrant vice. The progression of sin is reflected in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. When we willingly associate with sin, we will soon come to tolerate it and then to practice it. Like all other sins that are not resisted, sins of sex will grow, and eventually they will corrupt and destroy not only the persons directly involved, but many innocent persons besides. And the Corinthians were no strangers to the sins of sex, and unfortunately, many believers there had gone back to them. That's why this warning, this is why, as I have told you, I'm no longer surprised if I find a 70- or 80-year-old involved in sexual sins, let alone as I've dealt with junior high kids, as I've been called in to deal with kids. It just, our, our culture is overwhelmed with sexual immorality. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. The context argues here that the vessel is a synonym for the body rather than for wife, as many interpreters hold. Every believer is to rightly possess, rightly control his own body if we are living in the spirit, this commentator says. Okay? And I wrote that down because I, I hold the exact opposite, but we'll, we'll get to that another time. It's not easy to be in control of ourselves as sometimes we think we can be. Many people are deceived in thinking they are perfectly in control of their thoughts and actions simply because they always do what they want. The fact, however, is that their desires and passions are telling them what to do and they are going along. They are not masters of their desires but are willingly slaves and their flesh is controlling their minds. And, you know... I, all I can tell you is like uh, about six months ago, I had a father in my office, not from our church, and he just absolutely broken because not only did his daughter become like a heroin addict, but then she became a sex slave. She put her body out there to earn more money, to get more drugs. And I just remember that thinking that father is absolutely, what this girl has done with her sin is absolutely, just absolutely brought deadness 
to her father who loved her and cared for her. And, and then it made it even worse because she got her sister involved in that. And I say to myself, you know, how sad it is what we do for money, for sex, for drugs. And if you're someone you feel like you're drowning today and something is controlling you, this is where I, maybe God is saying, call out to me today and call out for help and come talk to me or come talk to Carl or anybody at our church because I don't want anybody to have the chain of like, oh, sex is controlling you. And then just finally, just to remember, God restores and is a God of second chances. As we're talking about this today, overcoming sexual sins of the past is something that God can do, but you've got to come and get your life right with him. And so as we get ready for communion today, what I want to do is to just remind you that God doesn't want you to have sexual sin in your life because it will harm you, it will control you, and it's something that the Father thinks is very serious. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that as we come this morning to prepare for communion, to think about it, and we've had this passage as a backdrop, <coughs> that, that on a very sensitive subject, something that we want to sometimes bury and something we don't want others to know, I'm thankful, God, that I don't have to be someone that people confess sins to. I, I don't need to know details, and nobody else does. I just would pray, Father, that in someone's heart today, if they're struggling with sexual immorality, that they would call out to you for restoration. They would call out to you for, for the repentance and the strength to not go back into it. Because sexual sin is so powerful, Father. It, it is so controlling. How I'm asking, God, that you'll give the men and women here the power to overcome. You want sex to be a blessing to people, God. I know that. But I also know because of sin, it gets warped, it gets destroyed, it becomes destructive. And how I'm asking for the adults, for the children here, that there is an awareness that we need to be dependent upon you. And, and for those that have practiced sin, I'm asking God that after they've repented and maybe they're still dealing with the consequences, that there's just a reminder that one day you're going to wipe every tear. We're going to get new bodies. Things will be made right. We'll have a, we have that hope, God. And may that buoy somebody's spirits this morning. But for the person that is just hearing this and maybe their heart is hard and they're saying, no, I'm not going to change my life, I'm asking for mercy for them, God. So somehow, some way that light of yours can get into that heart the, the heart can be broken up and that they would finally come and say, you know, I, I need today to get my life right with you. Bless them, God. We are foolish people and sometimes we want to justify and think that we're perfectly okay when in actuality, you're not keeping something fun from us and something good from us if it's improper. It's something that hurts and destroys I pray that we all recognize it. And may the hard heart person today finally recognize it. In Christ's name, amen.